0: It's time for The Daily Review, a podcast dedicated to reviews and discussion of TV, movies, and books. Look for us at Daily Review on Facebook and Twitter and dailyreview.com on the web. That's D-A-L-E-Y review.com. This is Paul Daly. Here is my wife, Caroline. Hey, guys. And tonight we're here to discuss the fourth episode of the second season of HBO's Westworld, what was this one's title?
1: The Riddle of the Sphinx.
0: The Riddle of the Sphinx. What does it possibly mean? Sphinx is like, you know, the big statue in Egypt. Riddle. What do you got?
1: Well, in Greek legend, the Sphinx devoured all travelers who could not answer the riddle it posted. What is the creature that walks on four legs in the morning, two legs at noon, and three in the evening, you know? Uh.
0: It is... It is a... Well, it's it's symbolic, right? It's it's the stages of man. It's crawling as a child, walking as an adult, needing a cane as an old person. Ah,
1: right? oh, so the answer is man, and then that causes the death to the Sphinx. See, yeah, I got it. Yeah, you totally did. Good for you, Paul. You I, got the riddle.
0: Gotta kill that Sphinx.
1: <laughs> the sphinx is as good as worm food.
0: So this wasn't that same riddle.
1: Oh, I think the whole answer is you know the the journey. We have bits and pieces here, but the big part at the end for me when the Lawrence's daughter tells him to stop looking forward that that the key is for him to look right. back. That's I what think I was it's thinking of. The whole journey of his life, that whole thing, the riddle of the Sphinx, the. The what is your life like basically, you know, uh, amounted to? and What did you do at different points in your life? That's what I think. So, yeah, I think, of course, I do believe that the key goes all the way back to the very beginning and how the man in black slash William treated everybody along the way. I really appreciated that one line that came a long time ago where he was talking about even if he stacks up all of his good deeds, it's really just to make a wall that he hides behind who he really is. Hmm. What a fascinating thing, because we usually go the other way with the idea that like if you do enough good deeds, somehow it's like a weights and measure and you can like outweigh the bad deeds. But the way that he describes it of like just creating a wall in front of you of good deeds to just mask who you really are. That's a fascinating concept
0: brutally honest
1: one of the things i also saw that you and i had discussed in a previous episode was that remember we were talking about the idea of is it fair to judge you on what you do in the park when it's not really telling that you do something when there's like no consequences right yeah so i was like watching all these extra like extra scenes extra footage and what we were saying was completely confirmed for me that it said like if there's no stakes in something and you do it like if you're playing a board game and you're more adventurous or you're more um, whatever, because it's just a board game, then that doesn't it doesn't actually say anything about you in this way. That's like so dramatic, you know, because it was a no stakes situation and there has to be stakes in order for you to really have used your judgment. Right, yep. It was important to me to really like think that through. So let's talk a little bit about how we're going to break this one down, because typically we go by timeline, and we do have a variety of timelines here, but we also have chunked-out characters, too. So this one is a little bit tricky. This was by far my favorite episode.
0: Mine, too. And it's funny, if you go and look up IMDb, just they, they rate a show overall, but they also rate individual episodes. Yeah. This was markedly lower rated than other shows from this season.
1: That's insane. That and makes all I can no sense. All
0: I can think of is that, I mean, I, I, I chunked this out on a whiteboard behind me, and it chunked out into five sections. So we were following essentially five stories. And I, there were the memory glitches, and you don't know what's when and all that kind of sure, stuff. Sure, sure. And this week, out of all the weeks, there were more when was that moments than there had been previously this season.
1: However, this was also an episode where we got a ton of payoffs. I mean, we had like actual conclusions to different, different little strands that were just dangling out there, you know? I mean, that's, that's so important. And especially at this stage of the game, episode four of season two, I mean, shoot, they didn't have to do this till the finale. There are several things that happen in this that they could have started the story And not tied it up in this episode.
0: The fate of Elsie. Bernard knocked her out and dragged her into a cave. We have the fate of Stubbs. He's been hanging out with Ghost Nation.
1: The whole time, yeah.
0: What's Ghost Nation up to? Well, they're kind of protecting people. If you listen to last week's podcast, we said that they weren't on the same side as the rest of the hosts. And they articulated that in pretty plain English this, this episode. What the ultimate plan is and who... They're talking about, we don't know yet, but we at least got that part right. Remember the big hissy fit I had about market research and hopefully Westworld not being about market research. I think we pretty definitively got the answer that it is not about market research.
1: There's parts of the park that I definitely think they use for market research. They're trying to figure out what people want. We're we're taking it like market research, like deodorant. And I think this is so much bigger than that. It's not about like what products you'd buy, but like what lifestyles they could sell you. And I do think that it's about investments and what things you could invest in. And so I do think it's about trying to figure that out. Obviously, bigger story. What is the question that nobody even uh, knows to ask? Can we be immortal? I think is that question. Uh, Is it possible for humans to become immortal? And if you remember back to season one, when Ford is talking about how, um, that whole idea of like raising from the dead remember that whole scene with bernard when he's saying lazarus like raise up from the cave he's like talking to the, about the idea of like raising lazarus it's it's this whole idea of coming back to life he talks about it. i mean he it, it's so weird if you look back i mean clues were all there about all of this if the if this came sheer out of the blue for you Definitely go back and watch season one because I feel like you'll pick up on a lot more. He what he was describing, too, is this idea that, like, basically, if we're able to do this and make people immortal, then the human race is like over because there's no reason to make like more of us. Yeah. You know, and so that's how you end humanity. Is if we basically are at like a stopping point?
0: Yeah, yeah, that's a that's something that I've seen in a lot of really far advanced science fiction. Is is the idea that if we ever get to the point, like Caroline just said, where we <laughs> we just get to live forever, then then the reason for having children will just sort of be like a, a curiosity, not really like a perpetuation of the species kind of drive.
1: And in many ways, like, would that even be acceptable to have kids? Do you know? Because it's like there's already like a Number of population, you know, on the planet and no one ever dies, then what you doing? You know, yeah, like you're just sort of overloading the planet. So I don't really know if that's acceptable or not, you know.
0: Now that we're done with just that quick review of the mysteries solved this episode, we're going to start with a whole character's arc in this episode. The Jim Delos character, because he spans a large time frame. It's three identical scenes or three very close to identical scenes. When did you get kind of... On to that, that this was not flesh and blood Jim. This was actually Jim bot.
1: When William handed him the paper and I said, you, oh, it's a transcript of their conversation. That's when I thought this isn't. A human but i i want to back it up a little bit they have been a little bit of an extra on hbo called the delos experiment and it was really fascinating um i watched it today and it was uh an interview with lisa joy that who was also the director for this one and this was her directorial debut and i thought she did freaking amazing and listening to her interview really gave me an even greater appreciation for how much different uh true thought that she put into this. So like some of the things like they, the whole experiment was this idea of like a robot being left alone in the dark down there. Um, but this idea of the room was circular as well. Obviously it's good for observation, but it's also, you know, this whole repeating, you know, circle that all of the the loops that mm-hmm. everyone's been on the record player, the way that the um, camera came in and was like slow and controlled. And it only showed you each portion, like in time She was trying to echo the limitations of both the room, and like what you could see, and the limitations of the actual experiment, what they had been able to do so far. So like how when you first come in, you're just shown like this really tiny, like small little viewpoint, and it does circle around the room, but you can't see the whole room. Like you don't really know what you're fully looking at yet. All Um,
0: all those little details and features of her intentionality really shine through with this whole. Jim part.
1: Oh my uh, gosh. It was so awesome. And so then she, she went into talking so much about the idea of like using mirrors and like having how Jim was like looking at himself in the mirror. Um, if you remember, like there's different parts when he is looking in the mirror, he does different things like how he spills the milk. The milk has been like this big deal the whole time. You know, he's spilling the cream that he's like trying to put in his coffee.
0: That's when I had my first question mark. Like mm-hmm. this isn't really Jim. Cause, cause early edition hosts, can't pour for shit
1: that that's what they said if you remember from westworld remember they kept saying you can always tell from the hands yeah and so yeah that was like a big deal but also the idea of like uh using the mirror and the fact that like ultimately in this like three um scene trilogy that we get with him ultimately the mirrors are like he can't even like reconcile with himself who he is and 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 what is really going on and how he does choose to like slice up his own face like he's trying to rip the mask off
0: Hmm. to
1: like get to who he actually is which of course we know is like machinery underneath but
0: i interpreted old williams visit to be maybe probably just before the events of season one like he dropped in there did his visit and then went on vacation you know what i mean
1: yes and there is an exact timeline of like what year it actually is online and you can totally look it up because i want to say it's like in the late 90s and then it's like I want to say it's like 2017 is like the next one and then the 2023 is like the other one. Um okay. so like there's actual dates now that correspond to these you guys can just totally google that. You'll spy it. But um
0: Well my point was going to be that in in 30 something years they only got up to 35 days. 35 days was 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 when his mind started to break in the very last iteration.
1: And it makes sense though because it was like Peter Abernathy. He was going through the same thing. It was like he couldn't he would be he would be better off until William came and started to tell him reality situations like your wife is dead, your daughter's dead, it's been this many years and then he couldn't reconcile the reality of the situation. Yeah. So it wasn't that his Um, like machinery wasn't working it's that his actual the human part of him could not reconcile the situation like to see William older and have his face look the same and then he like hacks his face off you know like there's this there's all this stuff the other thing that was super interesting was that this was the first time that we had this idea that Delos's ultimate plan was not to develop hosts to become more human which was actually what like Ford and Arnold were constantly trying to do, you know, how can we make them more human, but more to make humans more like hosts because ultimately what we value in them, the immortality, the adaptability and the durability, like there's, they can't get sick. They can, they can change their script like, and do all different things. And obviously they're, you know, live forever. They can just have parts replaced. Right. So it was the first, for me, like that first click of like we're not trying to get hosts to be like humans anymore we're trying to get humans to ultimately be as close to robots and yet still be human like we actually want to go towards robot isn't that weird
0: all of a sudden the the logic that didn't seem very logical in the first season when they were saying things like well they said it was more cost effective to make you more like more like us you know when they were saying they how they got away from like the clockwork innards to more like organic innards you Mm -hmm. know what i mean so it makes more sense. They would need to get to something that is very closely biological in order to get the human brain to be like, okay, I can deal with this.
1: Sort of. But then the goal after that was to was to like loop back around and try. You know, a, a thing that is most closely resembling a stomach or a heart or a brain or whatever is really not what we ultimately wanted or needed. We actually have to start getting those human parts back towards going back toward being. A robot. That is like actually what the end goal was is to try to make you accept being more robotic. That was the that is what makes you ultimately successful in this. If your brain can't accept being more robotic and we still have to play this game of like trying to put in as much organic type feel as we can, then you're not you're not living up to the full potential of the durability and the adaptability and all this. If we keep having to put the cranial fluid in and stuff like that, because we're mimicking the human body. It, that you're you're losing. See what I mean? Like mm-hmm. Bernard is still fragile. And in order to get to the ultimate like where you're truly durable and can make and be adaptable and don't need all that stuff, you really have to be more mechanical and not require these fake human substitutes. And that's the thing. That was like suddenly that became apparent I was like, "Oh wow, this experiment is swapped. You know, we started by trying to go one direction and now we actually want to go the other way." Which was the point. Lawrence's daughter saying, "If you're looking forward If you're still saying, how can I make a human heart out of robot pieces and get it as close to the human heart as possible? I feel like what she's saying is you're going the wrong way. We're trying to make the human heart more like a robot's heart, not a robot's heart, more like a human heart. Wrong way.
0: Interesting idea.
1: Wrong way.
0: I mean, I compare this to other, I guess a lot of stuff that I've read just kind of skips that part just like humans do want to live forever mm-hmm. so anything that we do to 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 further that ambition whether it's consciousness transferal to a robot body or just upload it into the cloud and and you just get to have this virtual disneyland for the rest of time mm-hmm. because that's where your consciousness is it always takes people <laughs> you know what i mean people right. are always like this is ideal this is This is the way it should be.
1: But if you think about it, when we see the most successful alien type things, they have foregone their entire human experience. Yes, they're the consciousness, but their bodies are almost always much more mechanical. Mm. much more. Because again, we're talking about durability and immortality. And the reality is like, yeah, I mean, I guess you can be like a hologram somewhere or something like that, but then you're really not, you're not as adaptable. You can't go running down the street then like, you know, in order to meet those things, we're trying to get you all the way back to being a full machine. It's crazy to think about, but- That's what, this is what the Nolans say, according to their Delos Experiment HBO little interview. That's what I gleaned from it, you guys.
0: Do you agree with old William that this line of research is, is overdue? It's time to end the gym experiment?
1: I think that he, at that point, realized what would be required of humans in order to really be immortal. And he realized that you would be basically trading over humanity for this robotic existence. And therefore, it was that whole, just because we can doesn't mean we should, Mm -hmm. um, you know, kind of question mark. And so while I do think that, I mean, he clearly handled it all wrong there at the (laughs) end's. I do understand him having that exhausted and, and I will say like wiser look on life of like, uh, I really appreciated the concept of like, you're, you are only alive as long as the last person who remembers you. That whole concept, uh, is fascinating. Um, was that in this or was that in the that was the I'm ghost reading? nation
0: but i mean it's it, it, it <laughs> I'm also
1: reading a book right now about henrietta Lacks that is about uh her cells and see she wasn't alive for a long time but like the whole point of it was like does anyone know she was ever a person if the last person who remembered her doesn't talk about her anymore kind of thing so mm. sorry i just my brain just went like oh, am i actually quoting my book club <laughs> Uh, check it out The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks it actually very much works with this it's the idea of science and humanity and where is it a person and where is it okay to be science and all this it's it's very interesting anyway um, okay so I do want to talk a little bit more about this actual Experience though that they did with Jim, there were so many small details in there when he was arguing with William, like when he said, like basically he was kind of like berating William, like "Shut the fuck up," because I'm dying of a disease that I defunded fifteen years ago. Yeah,
0: that was was holy
1: smokes. Those kind of things are like my favorite moments.
0: Actually, I mean, aside from Bernard, a little bit here and there, Jim sucked up all my empathy this this episode. Because he doesn't you know he's he's a smart guy, but he's trapped in this brain that when it when it starts to grind too hard it can't can't seem to get the words out, it can't do it right anymore. And he just breaks down and he yells for Logan in this moment of, of weakness. And it's like, dude, I mean, we, we we didn't even need old William to tell us that Logan was dead to know that Logan was, was already dead, you know? Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, the thing is, though, it's not just like, it, it's the amount of information he takes in. It happens once William tells him too much of the current day reality. So in the first time it happened when he told him, your wife is dead. Mm-hmm. And the second time it happened when we saw him, when he said, Juliet and your wife are dead. And then the third time it was like, all hell was breaking loose anyway. You know, now you have to repeat all that stuff. Plus he's yelling for Logan. Now Logan's dead. His reality that it's been, and plus he has to see William 30 years older Right. and he cannot put these puzzle pieces together. And I think that even if you had a completely human person standing in front of you who somehow reversed Benjamin Buttons' it and was still alive, I think that person would go mad in that moment. So I don't think it was anything about, like, glitches and machinery and all this. I think this was about a human brain not being able to take in the information that that he thought it was the same day, somehow that Groundhog Day effect. He was doing the same, like, five things. And meanwhile, he wasn't there for his wife dying, his daughter dying, his son dying. You know, every, everyone else in the world had aged, and he's like still in this room. Well,
0: then that makes it all the sadder that he's his his little project is basically shut down when he's only performing as well as any person would. You know what I mean?
1: Because they're trying to make him more like a machine. That's the point of the experiment. It's not OK to go out being a host body who's still human. The point of the experiment is you've got to you have to be able to deal with those things and be able to move on because how can we put you out in the world? And, you know, you look around and, you know, we have all those comedy movies where the person looks around and is like, what? There's flying cars, like very back to the future But the point of the, the, the real reality is Marty McFly would have shit his pants and gone into the fetal position and lost his ever loving mind. You know, he wouldn't have been able to laugh along and play with his mom. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it wouldn't have happened. And I think that's the point is that, you can, try, you can try to salvage a human brain for as long as you can, but once you put them back in reality, they're going to lose it. <laughs> so you can't really be human anymore and do this. Human brains, when they go through that whole thing with Man of Black that there's value in death...
0: Ah, uh, yes, yeah, there's
1: true? a whole thing yes. about that, you know. Like, there's a cycle of the life, at least the way we are used to it as humans. Now, the interesting thing is, most of us who have any historical background can understand that, like, you know, lifetime expectancy has like tripled you know, over the last couple of hundred years, you know, people were only living to 30 years old and now they're living to a hundred years old, you know? And so there obviously is adaptability in the human brain. You know, when we all get to 31, we don't freak out that we're still living, you know? (laughs) So clearly we're, we can take in more information. However, when you see the newspaper and it says 120 year old man, are you a little freaked out by that? I'm a little like, Ooh, weird.
0: Yeah. Um, no, we've been seeing 120 year old people since we were small. It was just very infrequent. I mean, they still get in the news, which means they're f- super rare. But um, I don't
1: feel like it makes me cheer. I feel like I feel uneasy about the fact that that person's 120. I don't go like, yes, 120 year old. I'm like, oh, wow. How weird is that? to be 120. Because like when we know people, now our own parents are are nearing to 70 and I'm, they're not slowing down, you know, like like you would think. But do I think they have 50 more years? Those would be some interesting 50 years, you know, to see huh. where that all goes because I, I hope that for them, I want that for all of us, but I'm very uneasy about what it all looks like and that uneasiness is what i'm saying my humanity kicks in and is like i don't know if the thing if things get really unnatural if you will you know
0: yes we'd be 90
1: right that that's weird as well you know
0: we, we see 90 year olds
1: and uh, we do
0: things. Yeah, it certainly gets <laughs> harder, right? So <laughs> yes. you see
1: what I mean. Like there's an uneasiness to seeing what even the tiniest little nip of immortality makes us a little bit uneasy. If someone walked in here and you said, and you said, this person's 200 years old, we wouldn't be like in awe. I think we would be freaked out, right? Yeah. yeah. And so that I don't know. There's something to that. The entire Jim Dalos story was so fascinating loved every second of it, could have spent an entire three-hour movie watching his story and what was going on with him. I could have delved into those everyday visits to that 149th visit. What did you think about William's choice, not only to end it, but how he chose to handle the whole situation? Do
0: you mean the intermittent terminations or do you mean just letting this this last one kind of play out a little longer?
1: that portion specifically the terminations each time I understood they were trying to wipe the slate clean and they were trying to start over and there was sort of no harm nor no foul in doing that it seemed at least it seemed now I don't know what it was really doing but ultimately him walking out and just saying eh just let him linger in there for a while
0: he's he's a confusing character because in the same episode he actually kind of regains some of his humanity that was pretty absent in all of first season. I just stated that I believe that this visit happened just before first season. So this would have been when he was gearing up to not give a shit about anybody and kill everything in sight, right? Okay. Pretty inhumane state of mind to be prepping for. And so this seems more like, that guy's not my father-in-law and he's never going to be. But like he said, there might be some value in, in observing him for a few more days. So I don't think that there was any great like this guy's pretty close to my old dad, so I can't really stand to to burn up the room this time. I think it was more like just hands washing. He's done.
1: But is that okay? I mean, if if we had a if no, we it's had...
0: not okay. It's Frankenstein. It's it's yeah.
1: So that's what I'm asking. Like, how did you feel? I mean, you just recapped what he did, but I'm asking you, like, I mean, if we had a, if we had an old dog, or if we had, to, I mean, is it okay to just leave them in a box until they just what?
0: Just observe them, see what happens, how it how it plays out in the but in the box,
1: with the intent for them to die in the box. That's no, the intent.
0: No, it is not okay. I guess it's I guess it's a very good contrast from what ends up happening with Lawrence later in the episode to this, where he's basically dealing with life forms that are kind of on equal footing, and he says to one, mm, "Meh, whatever," and the other one, he's like. Okay, I'll 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 save.
1: And I'm going to say that that exact portion was was a lot more about um his own marriage, and that was like the book ending to his marriage and his situation. This one I'm going to call out as a as a whole separate thing. His lack of mercy for a living thing to me is the equivalent of like torturing animals or something. Like him knowing that Jim had a conscious mind, and him leaving him in this room in this state of, like, complete meltdown, Mm -hmm. like...
0: Conscious but broken.
1: That was beyond cruel. And that is what is so confusing and confounding about the man in black. I'm not even going to call him William at this point of the story. He is so beyond for me. They have still not shown me why or how he got to this point of being so awful to life, knowing that that was not a host. That was not a robot. That was a human mind in there, you know, and he could do that. And be fine, walk out, fine. Who is that? You know what in the world is has they haven't shown me enough to 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 make that man make sense to me. You know, mm-hmm. and he got so vicious so young. Like when they showed us that previous episode where he was at the party and he was already being so vicious with Dolores, made me realize like this guy, it's this was not decades and decades of sadness that drove him to be this man. Something happened a long time ago and he lost it. Now, was it that series of 30 years trying to make this man be able to go like make this? I assume like this was like his all encompassing project was to try to turn Jim. Into a workable robot, immortal human, you know, I don't that hybrid. And so was that it? Did he like lose his mind? Kind of mad scientist-esque?
0: They showed us some very deliberately hand-picked clips previewing into this episode from previous episodes, including like at the party that now that conversation where they're at the retirement party, Jim's like, you know, we don't have to... Rush this, or no, we don't have. The, what did he say? He's like, we're not all working on the same timetable yeah. here, and right. What it, so it means? He's dying, and he needs this immortality project to speed up. And William says something to the effect of, "That may be the case very soon." Here, in the in in the context of just retiring and that kind of stuff, it it didn't make a whole lot of sense because it sounded like he wasn't going to retire. But now that that's not what they are talking about, they were talking about this immortality project. Is very cool to see that
1: yeah so I think like okay, so in an ideal world, what I think maybe was supposed to happen what and what I think Jim was trying to say was like basically, if this all works out and I can just go like in the the lab and be gone for a couple of weeks and come back and be healthy and myself, then may, then I don't have to step down mm-hmm. because I would just I would just have been on vacation for a couple of weeks, so when he was saying like maybe I don't actually have to step down. You know, maybe that doesn't have to happen. And that's what I feel like where um, William is saying, like, well, we have this arrangement and, and I'm fine with that. Like, in order for our arrangement to work, you know, you don't actually have to, like, quote unquote, retire in order for our arrangement to work. But I think that's where things get so dicey that then it turned out to take 30 years and they still couldn't bring Jim back into the picture. It was like, ah, you know
0: interesting that the, the the one person whose fortunes would be most directly impacted by the return of Jim Delos is basically the gatekeeper to decide when he's ready to come back
1: agreed and that is like the most frightening i agree because you're, yeah i mean you're like uh i'll just sit on the throne until you're ready to be the king again oh not ready to be the king yet <laughs> no. not ready to be the yeah. king yet and i i also think that that's part of what drove jim mad as well because how you know he would just he had no say in the matter like he was he was so limited in his ability to have any impact on what was going on around him even though his brain was like very at least i want to say even though he would get like stuttery and stuff i don't think that his feelings or his how hard he was taking the situation was lessened even if he couldn't communicate properly do you Mm -hmm. know what i mean yeah like it's not that he wasn't taking in information i just think he couldn't express himself at certain points. It's like being speechless when something's so insane that you see and you just say like, I'm speechless. I think communication is like one of the first things to go.
0: It, It reminded me of certain medications that I have taken over my life that made it hard to think, made it hard to pick out the words that I wanted to say and when I wanted to say them. So I could really sympathize with old Jim stammering, not being able to communicate, but clearly still having feelings about what he was talking about.
1: So the other character that I feel like was dealing with this whole concept of reconciling what was the reality was Bernard. And we saw him suffer through what, the best word that we could come up with was glitches throughout this entire episode. And I mean, he's been having this throughout this season where he like bounces from timeline to timeline and there's not really a great explanation Except for now, we understand having seen Jim's reality, we know that without the proper care of his actual like mechanical body and without the – because we saw Jim lose his mind, scratching up his face and stuff. Um, And then we see, you know, Bernard, the the flashing and the memories and the different timelines suddenly like make so much more sense.
0: You know, I just had this freaking brain – bomb here what i saw your eyes get big ford perfected the brain transfer more or less right i think except with tweaking so that he could create bernard out of arnold but he was he must have been sandbagging that whole time and that must have been the ip that they wanted to get out because they knew that he was keeping it from them
1: that's my best guess yes Uh, i agree with you wholeheartedly i just
0: came up with that just
1: this just Just a second. I love it. I think makes sense. that's exactly what's up is that, yeah, the information that the the IP information they were trying to get out was like, how do you, how do you do the human host hybrid business? How do you do this? And you're right that Bernard slash Arnold is, is somewhat this experiment, but the question mark is, was it totally successful with Bernard? Like we think, but we don't know. We don't really know what's, you know,
0: he lived in a, in a very controlled environment
1: not unlike jim though right very similar when you really look at it yeah which i do have to point out do you know how like all first season we were like hawk-eyed about like who's a host and who's a human and i feel like this season we've been kind of remiss in every episode to say like you know what i don't think that thing is actually a human i think it's a it's a host i have a big fat question mark about um Elsie and Stubbs in this as we're going through, but because of Bernard and because of this idea of like how they just sort of like seem to live like in Westworld and there's like no other like place that they seem to ever be and Sizemore's in that as well. I feel like there's this whole idea of like, it would make more sense for employees to be hosts. They showed us the drones Working in the lab, yeah. and so it would make more sense that the next step to that would be just to make them look a little more human, and then you know go ahead and work. Which also calls into question Felix and Sylvester.
0: Any employees on the on the block? We'll get to Stubbs in a little bit. Let's cover these glitches taken uh, taken as they came. They were very jarring. I I, I assume that they were meant to be because they were they kind of represented themselves with like kind of like film glitches, right? They kind of stuttered in in frames and stuff like that. But if you take them all together, they're definitely telling just one story here, but the story but the question you have to ask is like, "Well, why?" right? Like mm-hmm. well, the basic story is that Bernard in like hunter killer mode was sent, I'm assuming, by Ford to this secret lab to shut it down, right? Mm-hmm. So he sends the drones on killer missions, and then they kill themselves, and then he steals a, what did you call it? A brain ball, a memory ball?
1: Right. I, I think memory ball. I've seen it's called a memory ball, or a DNA ball. I've, I've seen it called a bunch of different things. Was, Basically, I think it's like the essence of somebody.
0: Yes, I, I think so, too. It, it's in, a, in another segment, Elsie indicates that there's a special kind of printer available, a control unit printer, which I guess is... Hard to come by. They don't. They maybe don't even have them back at the at the ranch. You know. Mm-hmm. So this is a big deal that it's in this place she's never heard of. That's the big story that happens here: the the killing and all that. But but I have to wonder, like, so Ford probably as part of his denouement was was cleaning house. So he set Bernard on because he looked pretty dead eyed through that whole thing, right? So this wasn't conscious Bernard.
1: And I think that Bernard got off track, and I think that Ford got Clementine to bring him back to the cave and to get him back to where he needed to be. I I assume that that DNA or memory ball is Ford.
0: I think that too. It doesn't make any sense for it to be anybody
1: else. The only other person it could be is William in some way, but I don't get it or understand.
0: Me neither. I mean, there are probably other like-
1: I can't imagine who else it would it be. It would be
0: very interesting if it was actually Arnold.
1: Well, see, okay, check this out. So, do you know there was a body in there? And it was like, yeah. okay. So, there was a body in there that was getting rebuilt. Okay. And basically, one of the things we thought for a long time that it was Cullen that he was making down there. What if it's young William? And what if he is able to? I don't know how you do this. Don't ask me any questions yet. I don't know the follow up. But what if he has the ability to have William? On a DNA ball or whatever that DNA ball is, it's ready to be downloaded onto, right? Let's say it's just like an empty, ready to go DNA memory ball, right? What if the door or at the end of this whole thing, what if the choice is to William, you're at the end of the line here, right? Yeah. Maybe the key is not stepping forward, but going back. And what if we put your whole brain in here, you go in the body of William, and now you can live out your life with host Dolores, and live that entire thing forever and ever mortally. Would that be Ford's you win gift? Is to give him the life he like thought he always wanted?
0: As reward for winning the game?
1: Right. And so here's the choice. Then I think Man of Black says, no thanks. And he just dies. I think that would be end game. As opposed to, because because otherwise he didn't learn his friggin' lesson. You know, that you can't really go back and do this, you know? Mm-hmm. So I would think that it's like that would be the choice at that point would be like, do you choose to be immortal at that point or no? I don't know. This is all conjecture at this point, and It's a lot of throwing stuff out there. But I'm just saying that obviously if we have that DNA memory ball, there's only a couple people could be. I don't really know why the real Arnold needs to come back into play. Like it who would cares just, if me, he comes well, back?
0: We're assuming at this point, given the information that we have, that Ford's final game, final narrative is an act of penance for, at first we thought, how he kind of turned the hosts from what could have been true artificial intelligence into just prostitutes and, and gunslingers for amusement, right? Right. Now it's kind of twisting into more like, well, maybe he was actually more guilty about playing God entirely by, by having a hand in creating these immortality bots, and so with that whole guilt theme in there and probably believing that Arnold had himself killed to 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 make a statement about all of this in the first place, it makes sense that he would then be like, OK, well, Arnold deserves to live.
1: I, see, but I don't I don't think anyone views being having your consciousness trapped inside a host as living. That's mm. what I'm saying It's like, I don't think that people who are in the know who have seen Jim Delos think that's a pit you know and so that's where I'm saying I'm not so sure and like I I guess the other thing is that I don't I really honestly don't believe there's any reason to bring Arnold back the other thing is with Ford what's interesting about that is they've said over and over again Anthony Hopkins isn't coming back what an easy way to bring the character back and have not the actor yeah, If it's his consciousness, his words, his thoughts, his feelings, whatever, but coming out of another actor's mouth because now he's in a different host body, oh, what a brilliant way to do it, you know? Or I'm still going with the idea that Jimmy Simpson is like worth keeping around and what a rad way to do that if you can actually have some amount of consciousness in that body, you know? What a cool and different way. I don't know, you guys, tons of different thoughts on that. But the glitches ultimately, in case you are unsure, we're all going with the idea that bernard was a part of having the um the drones kill the lab staff the the interesting thing about the way they shot that scene is they they specifically put jeffrey wright like smack in the middle and they did that circular move again where the camera moved around him in a circular pattern Mm -hmm. and so then things people were getting killed and the drones were doing killing and stuff all around him in a circle again that was like a directorial choice that she was trying to keep up with that circle and the idea that Bernard is like standing in the center, not acting as a drone and not acting as a human, but in this like no man's land of not quite drone, not quite human, just standing in the middle of it right. all, unsure of where he fits in.
0: Two legs, one in each camp.
1: Right. And the interesting thing, of course, is at the end when he goes over to that tech that tech, and chooses to stomp his head
0: i made a mental note that it appears that bernard has access to robot strength that um puts him above that of normal men even though he doesn't seem to know that he has it you know what i mean agree because it looks like he smashed that guy's face through the floor right his leg didn't stop where it would stop if you just smashed into someone's face you know what I'm trying to say here
1: absolutely super
0: gross but timeline wise i am saying this happened just before the end of season 1 now where this is exactly in terms of like i think it's just before clementine shoots him somewhere in in like episodes 8 or 9 somewhere in there that i i can't pinpoint it just off my my poor memory but I think it's in there somewhere. Anyway, since we're covering Bernard just now, let's go back and pick up the whole Bernard and Elsie storyline from this episode. As I mentioned, Clem drags Bernard to this cave where Elsie has been stashed. And so we get some answers about where she's been and why she's there. So that's all good. That all feeds my need for not just having everything unanswered. There were a few segments during this that, that, Bernard had memory glitches that don't qualify for the previous, um, what would you call that, segment of our episode. Because they weren't taking place necessarily in continuity with the lab ransacking. And they made that very interesting, this whole segment, but also a little confusing to watch. Did you get confused at any point about when those memories were happening
1: Yeah. I mean, it was challenging. And I mean, I like my notebook is usually pretty decent about like I can flop from one page to another and pretty much know which timeline we're getting into. Um, Like I know that Bernard has a scar on his face at a in a later timeline that I can watch for. If he doesn't have the scar, then it's an earlier timeline. So if you watch for that, it's kind of like on the side of his cheek. Um, And so you can kind of watch for that. And and obviously his demeanor typically is different. Uh, You know, he's much more like robotic, if you will, in in, an a specific timeline there. And then he's much more like confused and sympathetic, you know, like, oh no, what happened here? Who did this? You yeah, know? Right. And like in the previous timeline, he was the head stomper, you know. So um so it gets it 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 was tricky and I mean, all I can say for everybody, I, I mean, what I was going to say about my notebook is that I have whole pages that only have like two sentences and then I flipped to another page and started it only to realize like those sentences belonged in a different timeline. So I, even with both of us and a lot of talking about this, uh, I'm willing to, you know, be really gray area on where some of these fit neatly, you know,
0: the one memory in particular that has me questioning uh, that I, that I might have some timeline issues with this part is when they hear the door or the noise behind the door that they find out to be access to Jim's room. And Bernard is watching her try to get in the door and he's talking to her. And then he realizes that he is in the middle of one of his waking memory reenactments right then. So then, I was like, well, "How much of what we're watching is memory?" Because at a certain point, she did start to interact with him again. You know what I mean? So we're re- we we're re- watching the memory, and if we're watching the memory, then in the in the quote unquote now timeline, Elsie's not there. Yeah. You don't know say,
1: say. Okay. Say in the it's, now timeline, Elsie's not there.
0: Elsie's not there. So
1: uh, when he's okay, so like you mean when he's down on the beach with Strand and stuff? Correct. Well, Elsie hasn't been shown to us.
0: That's also correct.
1: So I'm just going to say that because I don't think it would be entirely fair to say Elsie's not there because we don't really know what there is. And I I really think that that whatever we think we understand about that sea of hosts and Bernard even kind of coming up out of the water and kind of laying on the shore there, I think that it's going to end up being like, completely different than what we think we're seeing
0: oh i plan on it being that way and,
1: well so then elsie could be behind the rocks and he she's like go bernard go lay face down in the sand and then he's like oh like he just stood up you know like i don't know i just i think that it's not what it looked like and so i'm not willing to i'm not willing to say where anybody else is for now like in the now right now even though they haven't shown it to us it's been too spotty for me to understand you know
0: yeah 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 I liked having Elsie back because she is smart and she was the right person to save his life right then and probably fix him for the long, longer haul Mm -hmm. than just like first aid and spot checking with the cranial fluid and all that kind of stuff. So I like the addition of her and I like that she was so quick in figuring out little, little mysteries about her own situation there and all that kind of stuff. So I enjoyed all of their interactions. I kind of... Even though this was billed as a as a as a Man in Black episode, I really saw this as these two together. Their oh, episode. and
1: Jim Talos for crying out loud! Yeah, that God. was
0: important stuff. That too. was
1: huge for me. Well, okay, so here's the thing that I'm a little uncertain about. So, Elsie, when she realized that that Bernard wasn't doing very well, she I don't remember a time when she already knew Bernard was a host she didn't okay where was the reaction paul where was the big like "Ah, you're a host moment as i didn't even see anything register on her face from bernard's a regular guy to oh you need a giant syringe of cranium fluid that's
0: reasonable so
1: then i'm just wondering like did we miss a scene is this glitching i'm gonna try to sell
0: you on the idea that elsie is cool
1: is she a host (laughs)
0: She might be a host. Well,
1: guess what? Maybe she would freak out a whole lot less if she was a host. So I'm just, I'm just throwing this out there. There, you know?
0: there were. I mean, he was almost shutting down um, right when he was right when she was figuring it out. She was saying stuff like, "But you rotated out. You had a wife. Blah blah blah. You had a backstory." And then she just like rolled with it. Yeah, I'm, I'm going with a. She's a cool customer, and B uh, Bernard was knocked out after that, so our kind of POV character went away. That makes sense because we never saw her working on him without him being awake, right? One of the moments that I that I enjoyed in this uh, segment is when they went into Jim's room and Jim is basically going mad, having gone mad already, and um, Bernard comes out of nowhere and saves Elsie from kind of this rampaging Jim. And he just throws him through the glass with his super robot strength. And I, you know, I enjoy a good action move like that. So yeah. I was like,
1: look at that. That was exciting.
0: Because he's like an office guy, you know. <laughs> 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 and he picked yeah, him up and he threw that guy.
1: And you know, they purposely make him wear like cardigans and stuff to make him look even like extra, you know, yeah, Mr. Like a librarian or something. Very much. The little glass is Geppettoy. Very geppetto y that's a word, Paul. Jeppetoe. J- it's like it's like MacGyvering, but it's like Jeppetoe.
0: Did you have any doubt about uh how Elsie would come out of this episode? Do you think it was like a one episode <laughs> guest or uh...
1: No, I still think we're gonna see Elsie. So No, I
0: mean like in oh. that segment, did you think Jim was gonna because it didn't seem like Bernard was close enough or willing enough to do anything about about that?
1: Hmm. And her
0: gun didn't work, right? Wasn't that the deal? Like her gun didn't
1: uh what's the question? <laughs>
0: Did you think Elsie was done for with that?
1: No, no. I feel like she's important. I feel like we need her to support Bernard for a little bit longer. I think she's going to be in charge of fixing him up in a more real way. And I think that's the difference. Um, that's, That's going to help bridge this gap between where we were when Bernard was like truly losing it to where we are at the end of this two weeks. I think she's going to be the key to he needs a crutch. Like, he can't do this. He yeah. can't make it to the end without somebody. And I don't see a more logical person than Elsie, honestly. Do you do you see someone else that... Because like you said, no. she's so cool. Like, she does know the secrets. She is accepting. She's almost a Dustin of Stranger Things where she's willing to take in what he tells her and not say, bullshit, this isn't real. He's like, she's like, I believe. I believe that Ford can be doing this and I believe that the host could be changing. Like, she's in it. She is kind of dusting to me right
0: now, honestly. What's important to me about the Bernard Elsie storyline in this episode is the fact that she's the one. If you couldn't make all the dots work, she did spell out basically everything you needed to know about the hosts as immortal soul carriers plans of Delos. And that's what was going on here. They kind of help us solve that part of the, the riddle. So that's why I think this segment is important. You agree? Absolutely. All right.
1: Thinking about the idea of how I said Elsie, you know, completely believes that Ford could have been doing all this and that it is a game and all this kind of stuff. How much do you think that Ford is has programmed into Ghost Nation to be some player in this game? Like how he's he the Ghost Nation people are not killing humans. They are only killing hosts. They are seemingly like like they allowed grace basically I think to escape like there seem they seem to be like one of those things like when you get like community chest or something card or chance or something where like there's different little like obstacles or something set up within the game to like push you back on the right track if you need to be Mm -hmm. or take you out of the game if someone needs to sit out a while. You know, like I it's so funny in that ghost nation scene, I don't know if you saw this, but the husband and the wife that were also tied up with Grace and Stubbs was the same husband and the wife that we saw get off the train, and he was the guy who was like, "Um, he's like, "Let's go in this outlaw thing, um and they go up in the mountains on the horseback, and the sheriff the sheriff wigs out right, yeah. and the woman's like. You know, so even in this one, she's like, you just had to choose adventure. Like, she's still crying about that. Like, it's been this whole freaking time, this freaking group.
0: That's a lot of nagging.
1: A lot of nagging. You're awful. <laughs> well, did he have to take this adventure? I don't know.
0: I have huge questions, marks that are not totally answered by this week. We catch up with Alice. She's brought to where Stubbs is. Stubbs has basically heard rumors that ghost nation is collecting humans, but not hurting them. But then in a later scene, we're not hurting them.
1: Not killing fatally. Right. Not killing them. Uh,
0: But then uh, we have this scene where we're moving every, all the prisoners to meet, as they say, the first of us. This is hugely interesting because the Ghost Nation out of all the hosts are the only ones that have any kind of history that seems to actually be real. They're the ones that have the dolls that that represent what they see when the Delos people come out of their out of the ground, right? They so they're the ones that seem to to be able to see through the illusion to what the true nature of their reality is. They have no idea what it means, but they can see it and the the settlers can't. So when they say the first of us, this has me like wondering, who is this going to be? He's probably not just some wise old, you know, Native American looking person. He's I, but I don't really know what to expect either.
1: I have no idea. I did not write that line down in my notes. I'm I'm feverishly looking through everything. When does he say this part?
0: Uh, it is because Grace knows how to speak their language when they're being dragged along by the, by the limb, you know?
1: Okay. And that language is called? Lakota. Lakota. And do you know anything about Lakota? No, I do not. Okay.
0: So the, um, her captor answers her that she's being taken, that they're all being taken to meet the first of us or first of them or something to that effect. I I really want to see that. I'm glad Stubbs is still there so that gives us a chance that we might that we might get a chance to see it.
1: Well, hey, I um, I just I do want to inform everyone. So Lakota is the language of the Teton or the Teton Sioux uh tribes and um even though it's it's generally taught and considered by speakers as a separate language, it's this is funky. It's this is important. It's mutually intelligible with the other two languages, Hmm. which is fascinating because that makes it like a bridge, right? Like which Ghost Nation kind of is acting like, right? Where it's like the humans are on one side and the hosts are on one side and Ghost Nation can talk to both sides. And that's I think that's really fascinating that Lakota is mutually intelligible with the other two languages. Fascinating. (laughs) There is a Lakota language program online available for kids' use. And you can also take classes at the Red Cloud Indian School.
0: I'm sure it's sounds like North or South Dakota, somewhere in that that uh, locale.
1: Um, the Dakota language, yeah. It's, so okay. It's like the Sioux language, and then there's like the Dakota language there's like uh it's considered by most linguists to be one of the three major varieties of the Sioux languages but then it's like mutually intelligible to both other languages
0: is it dakota or lakota
1: well lakota is the name of it but dakota is a language too okay but we're speaking lakota we're not saying it right at all but
0: well i'm fine let's with pretend. That. so it'd be like there's english and binglish right? <laughs>
1: It would be like if there's English, Binglish, and Singlish, and Binglish can be understood by both English and Singlish.
0: But English speakers may not understand Singlish speakers. No,
1: then that's the key, is this is the mutually intelligible, but that's the part I think Ghost Nation's playing. I think they're keeping both sides playing the game, both the hosts and the humans because they can be understood and I can they see can, this. and they can move their other they can move the characters around by dragging them to one place, letting them go somewhere, doing different things like they can affect the game
0: you're you're talking about uh in massively multiplayer games, there are uh basically system controlled well for lack of a better word controls that yeah. that perform that sort of things, so right you know like
1: I'm surmising that Ford put that ghost nation in place. To provide the, I'm going to think of it like a pinball machine. They're like the flappers. They're like putting you back in play, but they're putting you back in play in different places. And like, they decide what you're doing to get you back on where you're supposed to be. Like they, like they basically, in many ways, if you consider it saved Grace when she came out of the, the water, mm-hmm. you know? And, but then they also like, basically she like rested, got her shit together, or whatever. And then they were like, Oh no, you escaped. Like, I mean, they certainly could have hunted her down right away. But they did not. No, they so let her go. They let her go. So and what then, does
0: this mean? But also what does this mean is, I mean, I know what the words mean when Stubbs is, is stood up and they put the knife to his throat and then the guy whispers in his ear, he whispers in English, dude. <laughs> he does. So, and he says the whole thing about, you know, you you truly die when, you're, when no one else remembers you or something something to that effect. So I understand that, oh, what he said, it was just interesting that it was in English because they had been in character the whole time as speaking this Lakota language.
1: But I think that that part was important to speak English because he needed Grace and Stubbs, right? To hear what he was saying. Is that what you're talking Grace
0: about? had already run off. So. And okay,
1: then what are you talking about? What line? What line did he say in English?
0: That whole paragraph about you're truly dead when no one remembers you or something. Whatever that whole paragraph was that he said.
1: Stubbs gets up and whispers to somebody. Who does he whisper it to?
0: No, someone says that to Stubbs.
1: Oh, I said gets whispered to. Yeah. Okay. Well, so then back that up a little bit. So, so, so he chooses. Okay, but that makes sense. That it makes sense that the Ghost Nation person would choose to speak English to Stubbs, right? Because because he can he can go both ways. He okay, can, he can be the messenger to the humans and it the just, messengers to the host.
0: It just seemed out of character. Everything else had been completely in Native American character, and then he says this very poetic thing in perfect, unaccented English into the, into his ear. It felt a lot like when Lawrence's daughter talks directly to.
1: That's why w- I think, William. That's why I think these are Ford-controlled characters, because she's a Ford-controlled character. So you're right. So we're all, we're in 100% agreement on this, I believe.
0: Perfect. That's it for the Ghost Nation part. Let's move on to our final large story segment, which is at long last the Man in Black's saga this week. This was kind of like a a greatest hits episode for Man in Black, right? He got to go back to Lawrence's old town and we get to meet the Confederados again. But before we do any of that, how highly does the rail laying scene rank in the most horrific things you've ever seen list
1: i was really upset by that scene like i did like this (gasps) oh because when people were i was tweeting with other people on on twitter people were saying like oh my god they're laying they're laying host down on the track and i said they are no they're not They are acting as the actual railroad ties. They are driving stakes through their heads and making them the actual support system for the rails. That is completely different than laying them down on the track. I mean, laying them down on the track is frown face, but this is a whole different level of crazy. I didn't
0: get that they were hosts. I got that they were people.
1: I pe- they were saying hosts and I'm I'm repeating what people were tweeting.
0: I think they are wrong. I mean, the, the whole theme of this of this pandemonium has been punishing humans, right?
1: Oh, uh, plenty of hosts have been myrtleated along the way too. There was something about the idea that they were trying to get the train to go in a certain direction. What was that about? The fact that it was supposed to be running, um, is it supposed to be running north, but this is running west or something like that? What was the point of that portion? Like something was up in the way that they were building it that was like not right.
0: Well, they didn't hit on that subject very long. But what they did say just before the man in black rode off was that there are multiple contenders in Ford's game. So maybe what you're talking about is someone we haven't seen or someone we don't fully appreciate making that happen for their own ends in this final Ford narrative.
1: Talk to me about multiple contenders. Who used that phrase? The man in black. And what did he say?
0: He said... And to whom? He said it to Lawrence. Okay. He said Ford's game has multiple contenders. That's a paraphrase, but multiple contenders is a direct quote.
1: I can't even imagine who he's talking about. But then,
0: I mean, then they literally just rode off to Lawrence's hometown after that, and they didn't talk about it after that.
1: Bernard, you think, is one?
0: He might be one, but I don't think he has anything to do with his train.
1: Okay. Well, who else could be the other contenders? Maybe I don't know. I I sincerely don't know if Logan is a thing.
0: This doesn't seem like a Maeve thing. I mean, this seems like... Maybe.
1: No, maybe. No, maybe you're right. Maybe Maeve and Dolores. Maybe. I'm not saying that she's causing this. I'm just saying, like, when we're talking about multiple contenders, Mm -hmm. who could be a multiple contender? I guess... Yeah. I mean, I guess Maeve, Dolores man in black like they're all essentially playing the same game
0: right and and you know as even though i can't mentally fit some of those people into this role not yet i I don't really want to be introduced to a new evil mastermind i don't i don't think that i don't
1: think they could do that at this point i mean although i mean obviously they have brought in somebody
0: but they leave that point alone. The Train is left to go do whatever its fucked up thing is that it does, <laughs> and then they head off to uh, Lawrence's hometown. Which did you recognize it when you saw it, or did, did yeah. you? Okay.
1: No, I recognized it.
0: Yeah, it was. I mean, they did a good job. Of, with that the,
1: confederado dude, uh, Craddock.
0: Is Craddock
1: his is when we talk about no mercy. Uh, I think that it was about the smartest thing ever, and I swear to God, as a as a leader, I find this method fascinating to say is there anyone here who could who could possibly negotiate with me who has authorization to say what can happen around here and then that old man steps forward and he's just like pow i'm not interested in negotiating oh damn like just to get somebody to say like is anybody here like the strongest most likely candidate to challenge me could you stand (laughs) up please it's you okay pow dead like, that was freaking brilliant. I mean, it was awful, but it was brilliant, right?
0: It was. Craddock is kind of sadistic.
1: But that was smart sadistic.
0: But he's also limited in his, in that he's very interested in cruelty, but that's about it. Um
1: Yeah, he doesn't, I mean, all of his endgame crap, all this Nitro. I mean, this was so hearkening back to season one for me. All the yak with Logan and the Nitro and we got to get the Nitro. I mean, all that business didn't seem like a, I think we've run this loop before. Gotta get the Nitro, boys. We gotta get the supplies. I mean, there's there's a few things
0: things that happened to lead up to this, but really this whole segment um, comes down to the final bit right? Nothing else really seems to matter as much as... as
1: Well, but in talking about the no mercy, because I have to talk about that bartender, again, the shaking of the hand business, mm-hmm. again, same yeah. deal, showing he's degenerating. When he says you need to like walk with that on his hand, I knew in my heart of hearts that the man was going to make it, and then I was like, oh no, he's going to shoot him when he turns around, and he turned around and he was like, good job, pal. I was like, ah! <laughs> Like, I mean... Oh, it's so cruel. The cruelty that that is shown in this episode from Bernard stomping the railroad ties, the living, leaving Jim Delos in a room to just rot, leaving Elsie in a cave with some granola bars and whatever, like the cruelty is like, holy smokes, Polly!
0: Hopefully those weren't like, um, what are those kind that we have? Those oat bars that fiber one. Fiber one, yeah. She'd hopefully totally they totally
1: need that bucket. They not
0: fiber one <laughs> bars.
1: Fiber one bars will go right through you.
0: Yeah, they are. Should be
1: fibrous. They are
0: the roto rooter of the granola
1: world. <laughs> fiber one bars. Get you some today.
0: <laughs> right. Sponsored by. <laughs> anyway,
1: get regular while you're eating a snack.
0: I'll set the stage. MIB's inside talking with Craddock. Lawrence is getting the shit kicked out of him across the street for no reason at all. And Lawrence's wife and kid are cowering in the corner.
1: Paulo, Craddock drank the blood of Christ like he was just drinking some Kool-Aid off the picnic buffet. It's
0: it's sacrilegious. He
1: is out of control.
0: There's a big discussion between Man in Black and Craddock about death where Craddock is just sort of I would say bragging
1: yes I would say bragging
0: it's this kind of mixture right Where help me get the sequence correct because it's a little fuzzy in my mind it's Craddock has all this bullshit about death and how he's very familiar with it and he's kind of the master of death and he's been on both sides of it and all that kinds of shit and when does he start I guess it's like he starts dancing with Mrs. Lawrence, and then sends her out into the rain with the with the shot. Yeah. Okay. At what point do the flashbacks to the suicide start to creep in?
1: I th- I think it's right. It's right about that. It's like every step that she's taking out to Lawrence starts to show him his steps up the stairs running to his wife. Okay. Now, what was really interesting about Juliet's suicide scene, which if ever, if you guys were lost at all, if you guys remember in season one, he says that his wife committed suicide, but he says, I thought wasn't that it was an he be- he thought it was an overdose on pills and his daughter said, no, it was suicide. And it was because of you and blah, blah, blah. Now, what was interesting about the suicide scene was clearly the bathtub was full of bloody water. Yes. And clearly the way that they made her wrist dangle over the side of the Indicated, tub. Indicated, right. She clearly slit her wrist. Now, in that case, there is no doubt. What is this overdose of pills cockamamie story? Like, That's not what happened. And and he was apparently there. We can only assume that was him. Now, they didn't show the face. Is it possible that it was Logan's feet running up the stairs to his sister? Is it possible that, you know, really in my head, it could only be Logan or William. Um, I mean, obviously, it's more desperate, um, you know, and it certainly puts the position of being able to save the life versus not, you know, he's running to save Juliet's life, And now he could run and try to save Lawrence's life. You know, I mean, that makes more sense. But it's it's just weird about how he told the story.
0: It's interesting that this imperiled host couple triggered that memory and and set the fire on the fuse that needed that he needed to to come to life, you know, because he'd been such an animal to hosts up until this point.
1: I I mean, I think it was just that, you know, that whole triggering that it was like, that was real life, you know, and he could, he could make amends.
0: Then it, I mean, it, is it too far to, to jump that if this event reminds him of real life, then, then isn't this real life too, even though it is hosts?
1: Absolutely. I think that those hosts
0: believe that they're man and wife and that they're going to be killed.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that, that's her that that's their daughter and all those things. Yeah. I mean, I think
0: So it's not less than just because they're hosts.
1: No, I don't think so. But the but like he said, a good deed doesn't erase a bad deed. It's just he's just he's doing it because he carries around this tremendous guilt, but all it does is help build the wall in front of him. Not doesn't outweigh the bad, which is so awful for him that obviously he you can never if you can never undo the bad and it's all just about hiding behind good deeds then you can never be forgiven
0: before we get there he does have a pretty badass action scene right
1: oh my god yes what did you think
0: he has evolved his game from just standing out in the middle of the street and shooting everybody because it didn't matter if he got hit to taking cover sneaking around and being pretty badass like you know like mission impossible style it was
1: super dynamic i i thought it was exciting i thought it was again i mean i love the fact that um this was lisa joy's first directorial, you know, yeah, action opportunity is, is because not
0: is not an automatic.
1: It's not. And she played the quiet scenes with great, you know, um thoughtfulness, I guess, in the way that she did all those quiet moments like with Jim Dalos and stuff. And then, you know, and then she played this action scene so wonderfully. And then, my god, I mean, we we didn't delve into the horror of the end of Jim Delos's scene there, but I mean, that was pure Horror movie at the highest level. Him on that bicycle, biking, and then just slowly his feet stop. Did
0: you notice he was pedaling backwards? Mm-hmm. Something very unwholesome about <laughs> <laughs> pedaling. They're a like, bicycle. bicycles
1: go forward. <laughs> right. Pedals don't go backwards. That's like, a good way to, to knock your chain off.
0: It's like flying a kite at night.
1: Right? <laughs> <laughs> you are about flying a kite at night. I totally, now I kind of want to fly a kite at night. It's windier at night, isn't it? Why can't we fly a kite at night? What's wrong with that? <laughs> it's just demonic.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Only this spawn of. I singing. challenge
1: everyone to find an evening, take some time out, fly a kite, see if you, if you conjure the devil, if it's like saying Bloody Mary three <laughs> times in the mirror. Don't do it, people. You don't know who's going to grab a hold of that kite on the other end.
0: <gasps> right. Right. Might be some angry angel. Yep. The Angriest.
1: Okay, so getting back to old Man well, in Black,
0: you've covered it pretty well. The, the 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 show wraps up with one important scene, but before we get there, he has a he has another direct interface with Ford through Lawrence's daughter again. And, mm-hmm. and it's and what what struck me about that conversation was that that indicated that there is some actual intelligence still working on on creating this game for William. And it's not just repeating canned, you know, uh, what do you mean statements. By, what do you
1: mean by intelligence still working on it? I think that she was programmed. If you run across and this is the situation, this is what you say. But, but I think it's like, if then. you think he, But
0: he would have foreseen that, that William would have taken out The Confederados?
1: Of course. He takes out the town every time he goes there.
0: He takes out the town, not the Confederados.
1: If he takes out the Confederados, then you say this. If this happens, then you say this. Isn't that all that coding is?
0: Yeah, but that's too extreme for me to believe. Not
1: for me. I think that Ford, you have to give Ford credit that if you set up an entire game like this, I mean, what are you suggesting that uh, there's nobody who's actively at the controls?
0: Maybe, I don't maybe was, no, not actively. Just, just like a, a very smart program. program.
1: Yeah, it is. He programmed a very smart program. We're saying the same thing.
0: The little girl, she didn't like. She could have said it two different ways when she said, "You know, um, a good deed doesn't make up for all the bad things that I remember." She could have said that in a very kind of s- smug or or fake happy kind of way, but she said it in a kind of like a disappointed way. Like you don't really think that that matters. Right. You know, some, something more like that. And to me, that just indicated a little bit like you did something I didn't quite expect you to do here. That's all.
1: Okay. I know. I, I totally believe that. Yes. I agree with you on that. In that regard that, that, yeah. I mean, he probably for probably didn't expect for, Man in Black to do anything nice for anybody the whole time. I mean, all the time, if you remember back to the previous season when Ford does have those conversations with Man in Black and like that one where Man in Black goes, you know, you never really had a villain in here. So like I'm playing that part. That's my contribution to the game. And Ford says, yeah, I could never conceive of anyone quite like you. That's like essentially (laughs) the sentiment. Um, And so that if you take that into account, then you're right. Then there had to be, Some amount of like if he does something unexpected, then this is what you say. You know, Mm -hmm. if he if he does something out of this particular path, then you say this like just because you're being nice now doesn't mean we're all going to forget what you did. But I think that that's the key to the idea of you can't keep going forward doing good deeds. You have to go backwards and ask for forgiveness to those you hurt behind you. I don't think you that I think that's the idea. If you just keep plowing forward thinking, I did all these bad deeds in the past, but it's okay because I'm gonna make up for it with all these good deeds. No, you have to go down back and make it right with those you did wrong to.
0: Yeah, that's that's a step, right? In I think, in the program. Right.
1: I I believe, I believe that is making amends, right? Isn't that something?
0: One last big monumental scene in this episode that Caroline saw coming for a week. <laughs>
1: I loved it. I was calling her Emily Grace.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We just, we just need that one tiny, tiny confirmation, but really, I mean, hi, she dad. She said hi, dad. Is, My God. what is a, That is
1: Emily Grace. Yeah. So, I mean, that whole posse of them, um, you know, Men in Black and Lawrence's uh, group heading out and, you know, and then you have this silhouette who looks so much like Man in Black. You know, I mean, it was like if you said, like, that's the spitting image of like an outline of what he looked like coming up in the sun, you know, several times. Here's the interesting thing to me: Did you catch what color her hat was? No, gray. Neither white nor black. It's gray.
0: I, I bet, <laughs> I bet next week is like a really Dolores heavy week. I think it's maybe mave or maybe heavy. a Mave heavy. From week. everything
1: I saw, we're Mave heavy next week. Because
0: I am dying to know what she's doing in the park.
1: My best bet is she's, she's, she's come in after him. That's my best bet. She's only got one parent. Uh, everyone else is dead. Grandparents are gone. Logan's dead. Um, my guess is she came into this park. You know how, like, it's one of those things where like, uh, you'll hear an estranged kid about a parent say something like, I I have to understand why he did the things he did. You know, I have to go back. I have to ask questions. Yeah. I have to, like, figure this out. And that's essentially what she did. I mean, she went to his place where he loved everything and essentially tried to figure it out, you know? That's what I think. Now, again, going back to this whole concept of who's a host and who's potentially whatever. I mean, there was that one weird moment. Remember when um, Man in Black went into the wall in the bar and he used that little machine to fix this? Uh Uh-huh. Okay, well, do you also remember that Mave used that same type of machine on Sylvester when he got his throat slashed? Yes, well, does that work on human skin, Paul? Why would it work on human skin? It's the future it's not it's like five years from now. It's not like a hundred well, it's years from I think now.
0: it's a um I think it's a future version of like people using super glue to close cuts that you would normally get stitched just you know, better than that.
1: But isn't it the same thing that uses that he uses on Bernard and he's like it's not perfect but I'll have to do?
0: It's like an all-purpose sort of healer. I'm I'm not I'm not too too tied up in that little bit.
1: No, I'm just concerned about who's we gave up on playing the game who's a human, who's a host. And we played it so hardcore in the first one and now we've just kind of sat back and I feel like I don't know like suddenly we don't care, which is interesting. Very interesting. Suddenly because the there, there's like they're starting to bleed over into one another. We, we aren't trying to label them anymore. Isn't that a fascinating thing?
0: You know, for a while I was entertaining the idea that Stubbs would be one. But, I think
1: he is. But
0: all, but he may be. But he seems like a really low stakes member of the team to have be a host at this point. You Why know wouldn't I mean? you want your security but he'd be, people to all be? He'd be host. a very interestingly ironic one because. Um, it reminds me of uh, Battlestar Galactica when we find out who the final Cylons Spoiler. are. And I'm not saying who they are, but but there were some members of the military that were Cylons and they didn't realize it until the last second. They decided to live as humans rather than as Cylons.
1: Reminds me of the Roald Dahl book, The Witches, when we find out that certain women are witches in the community.
0: But the one.
1: Read a book, read a book.
0: The one who, the guy in the military who found out he was a Cylon, he was like the chief Cylon hater for like the whole fleet, you know. Always. And, and so Stubbs, with his "I sleep with my gun" talk, you know, reminds me of like, it was, <laughs> like you might actually be one, bro. You know,
1: absolutely. I think he probably I it makes sense just makes sense from if you had the capacity to to make those white face drones and we already know that they can do work they don't eat they can work around the clock they don't get paid like I mean from just a financial company standpoint doesn't it only make sense that all the staff are hosts or like
0: like the scene remember last season when um Cullen and Hale put on that little stupid dog and pony show to try to yes, and and they and they send in a guy to beat up Clementine. Yep, he looked like one of the security staff to me,
1: yeah. right? But yep. he,
0: but they said he was a host programmed to read as human.
1: Yep. What does that mean?
0: Right. That that seems to be the the shooting match here, because like Bernard is is one of them, right? And so,
1: who is the other person who's gotten scanned so far that you've seen? One, Charlotte Hale.
0: Hale, right?
1: She is a big question mark. Do you know that there's people out on Twitter who are comparing Charlotte to Charlie? Charlie is Bernard's backstory. And if you actually put the actress and the little boy's faces side by side, uh, freaky, they're like the same face. It's really, really, really scary how similar faces they are. And the whole Charlotte, Charlie, it's just a feminine male version of one another it's super weird. Like, is it possible that they put a consciousness of a kid into somebody else? I don't know. Because Arnold had Arnold had a kid in real life. And they made the backstory. We know as the host that the child died, but there's no reason to think that child died. There's no reason to think that child died. It was a part of Bernard's backstory in order to keep him there. You know? Yeah. So, I mean, what happened to his real family? We don't know. We don't know, I am wholeheartedly do not believe that Charlie I sorry that Charlotte is as uh straightforward in the least as she tried to present herself. I mean, I definitely think there's more stuff going on there, and she is the only other person I swear to God that we saw anyone get their neck scanned like that.
0: Well, I hope we find out more about that in the coming weeks. The preview for the next show looks very set in what people have been calling Shogun world or Samurai world.
1: Hey, I do want to um, point out one more thing because I do think it's interesting how we're talking. uh, We should wrap up with this whole concept of death and this idea of death. um, And like, is it a necessary evil to all this? There was a moment when the when. um, Oh, God, what's the Confederado's name again? Craddock. When Craddock asks where the all the ammo is and Lawrence whispers it to Man in Black where it is with the idea that somehow they're going to sneak off with it or something, right? Mm-hmm. And they say it's in an unmarked grave in the graveyard. And what Man in Black says to him is, in the graveyard, you'll find everything. And do you remember that Dolores sees her own name on the graveyard, on the um, grave in, that, in the little town?
0: Mm-hmm, yeah.
1: There's something about that whole thing, like what's buried under the graveyard. We're going to find everything there, I think. I don't know what is going to be under there. I don't know who's going to be underneath under there. Is it another lab? Is it another something? You know, but there's something very X marks the spot-ish about them saying like death is the like death, you need to go where the death is, you know. Or even Man in Black saying to craddock like, "Oh, you don't recognize death? Like I'm sitting right here in front of you, kind of stuff." Like, there's all this, like, it's right here, it's right here underneath your nose, literally. And they're teasing us. I feel like there's something there, you know, and we know they come up out of the ground, so we know that stuff's all buried in the ground. I don't know. I'm very curious about how many times they're pointing us towards that graveyard. Lots and lots. Both Dolores, I feel like, and now even Man in Black, I feel like same, same, same. Everybody's pointing us towards, where do you deal with death?
0: Maybe we'll find out next week.
1: Probably not. But I'm excited to find out more about Maeve. You know, the Ghost Nation group with Maeve is a super interesting combo because they actually while they might terrorize Maeve in many ways because Maeve? she's now
0: Maeve Ghost Nation and Maeve
1: they're the people who have been chasing her around the fucking homestead and all her memories
0: uh, okay continue uh
1: one thing that's interesting about this Ghost Nation idea is that they've they have been paired up with Maeve in the past and you know with Maeve being who we think is going to be our focus next episode i think that i wonder how they will play in because Maeve i wonder what she will read to them as will she read to them as human and protect her or will they read her as host and like she's up to attack i'm i'm super curious if if she is able to sort of like circumvent their you know sniffers on what and who she is
0: well she um she did have that um, that
1: c6 vertebrae taken out
0: yeah the vertebrae replaced Mm -hmm. that that's part of it
1: right Yeah. I don't know. I'm just curious because they are sort of like this strange little like metal detector now that we have like out in the world about who's a host and who's not. You know, the fact that, you know, Stubbs was alive, maybe that means he's human. If they're killing all the hosts, you know? Yeah. But and they left Grace alive. Okay, what does that mean? Okay, you know, like keep going back and forth, like what does it mean however Ghost Nation interacts with you, what does that mean? You know? Very curious because I think Ghost Nation is gonna come into play in the next Part with us with Maeve trying to find her daughter at the homestead. I love her and Hector together, by the way. They're adorable.
0: We'll see them a lot next week.
1: I can't wait. Thanks so much, guys. Thanks.
0: Catch us on iTunes or your preferred podcast software, our website, dailyreview.com. That's D A L E Y review.com. Facebook or Twitter or wherever you find us, please leave us a comment and a rating to let us know what you think of the show.
1: Thanks for listening, pot people. Thanks for listening to my mom and dad. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay
0: here. Just go home, folks.